Veterans Day is almost upon us, and instead of thinking about it only as a day off, we want to honor the country's veterans. So we asked the commissioner of the Connecticut Department of Veterans Affairs, whose name is Tom Soddy, to join us. We're talking today with Commissioner Soddy about the state of veterans in Connecticut and what they are thinking about. I'm Paul Steinmetz, and this is WCSU 411, the podcast that brings you behind the scenes at Western Connecticut State University. Now, here's Tom Soddy. So first, I want to thank you for joining us here today on uh, WCSU 411. My pleasure to be here, Paul. Um, I appreciate the invitation as well. It's very nice to be back at uh, WCSU, where I went to school and graduated from in 1993. That's right. It's very exciting. And you were a good student, too, I imagine. Uh, I, I hope that's the reputation I had. I had little struggles here and there, but I really enjoyed my time here and um, the education I received here, the internship opportunities I had, is what helped put me on the, uh, a very positive trajectory as to where I am today. Now you're one of our most successful graduates. I'd say a, a successful graduate. We have many successful graduates yes. <laughs> from Western Connecticut State University, but thank you. For, I really appreciate the, the, the words of support and the continued uh, friendship of uh, so many here at Western Connecticut. Did you, you mentioned your internships. What kind of internships did you have here? I had a great opportunity to do a legislative internship mm. uh, my last semester um, at uh, Western. And that internship truly opened up opportunities for me at the General Assembly working in the, uh, the House of Representatives as an intern there. And then shortly thereafter was hired as a staff member. Mm. For the same person you interned for? No, actually for a different person, but within the same office. Uh, and the experience really showed me both what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. Mm. And I often tell that to um, potential interns who now come to interview with me as commissioner. And I say, you know, internships are a great opportunity to learn and to learn for yourself that which you do or don't want to do, that which you might think is enjoyable, you realize is not, or those things that you had no idea you'd be interested in. Mm -hmm. And you do that without, I guess, the fear of losing a job because it's, it's an internship. But it is a job, but it's very different. You get that experience without, uh, without having to go through some of the risk that you would have to go to if you're going into a formal career. Right. Well, we'll get into the veterans' uh, information soon, but um, you haven't run for, say, state-level uh, political stuff, right? So did, is, did you decide then not to do that, or you, uh, uh, what did you bring away from that? Well, I really enjoyed learning about you know, the legislative process. You, know, you can – I was a history major and uh, political science, so you read about the process, but there's nothing like being in the process and learning about it firsthand. And I really decided then that I wanted to work in the process and learn about it. I didn't feel that it was appropriate to try to jump and run for state office, but instead I really got involved here at the local level. I was a classmate of a student named Mike Falzone, hmm. and Mike was on the city council in Danbury. This is back in the early 90s. And he said, uh, you know, we started chatting, and he asked, do you want to come out and go door knocking with me one Saturday afternoon? I had no idea what he was talking about, and that's when it started. I went canvassing door-to-door -door with him and uh, with a group of council people and uh, other city officials who were running for re-election, and that really got sort of that, that bug going in me, and I, I truly enjoyed it and began volunteering at the local level. I really feel that it's important to understand how local 
government works, how boards and commissions function, and to get that understanding of really the retail politics and retail policies that affect people day to day. And, and that's why I started at the municipal level on zoning and then ran for the city council and was lucky to be elected uh, back in 1999. Yeah, and you've been on ever since. I, I certainly have. I didn't think I would still be on after <laughs> almost 20 years. Yeah, and you're right in the middle of it too, right? You're uh, uh with your longevity uh, comes leadership uh, responsibilities. And... Um, yes, I am. Um, I am the leader of my caucus on the council and uh, work closely. We work uh, in a very bipartisan way on the city council in Danbury and with the mayor. You know, we may have some uh, different ideas as to how to get to the right end state, the goals. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the end, I believe that all the people I've had the privilege of work working with and continue to work with really have the best interests of the city. But what I mean by city is of its citizens, its residents in mind. Mm -hmm. Who who was the mayor when you first started on the council? Uh, former Mayor Gene Eriquez. He was uh -huh. mayor for just uh, the first term. It was his last term, my first term on the council. And uh, since then, in 2001, it's been Mayor Mark Boughton. Mm -hmm. Good. So you... Uh, also, your uh, military background, were you in the ROTC here or how did you uh, that evolve? That's a question I often, uh, I often get and no, I was not. I actually didn't commission into the military until I was 35 years old. Hmm. Uh, I had to get an age waiver. Uh, the cutoff at the time was 34. The, the age had moved back and forth. I think it's back at 34 now. I had always been interested in serving, but then after high school, decided to go uh, into college rather than enlisting at that time. And then as time progressed and I f moved further in my career as an attorney, uh, working in the attorney general's office, I just thought it was too late maybe or I was too old to do it or mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to keep my job as a, an attorney and a prosecutor. Then uh, a, um, a friend of the family told me about direct commissioning. As an attorney, I could commission into the military directly as a second lieutenant and that my age shouldn't be an issue. So after 9-11, um, I felt a need to get more involved and to serve and this gentleman helped me along and after a couple of years of going through the process, I commissioned in in 2000, actually November 10th, 2005, I took the oath of office as a, um, sorry, as a first lieutenant in the United States Army Reserve as a judge advocate and have been serving in the reserves for the past 13 years. And I currently have the honor of serving with the 411th Civil Affairs Battalion, which is actually right here in Danbury. And I'm the, uh, the battalion judge advocate. Hmm. And what does a judge advocate do for the engineers then? <laughs> well, for, for we, and we have, we have engineers, we have veterinarians, we have police officers, mm. we have doctors in our civil affairs unit. It's a very broad scope, a full spectrum of, of professionals and um, MOSs, military occupation specialties, as we say in the military. What mm. the judge advocate does, what the lawyer does is I lawyer. I review memorandums of agreement, assist soldiers um, in um, referring them for legal support if they need that. I advise the command teams on legal questions under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, under international law, um, assist with a broad variety of reviewing disciplinary actions, counselings, things like that, uh, as well as you know, agreements that may occur as between civilian 
um, organizations. For example, if we want to have a group of uh, an orga local organization visit our reserve center, uh, can they do that? Can they utilize space to hold meetings? And, and they can at times, and so I have to do those legal reviews. And, but the key is ensuring readiness. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is individual soldier readiness and unit readiness. It is my job. I'm not you know, an infantry guy. I'm not there on the front line, but it's my job to make sure that our soldiers in our unit are legally ready and are compliant with all uh, regulation, legal regulations and rules so that they can do their job. I try to take that burden off them, get them in a place where they can focus on doing their job so that we can be successful in our mission. Mm -hmm. So that is uh, a lot of law you need to know, right? For <laughs> when you were in the attorney general's office, uh, I imagine that was different than the kinds of things you needed to know for the uh, your military role. Absolutely, uh, different laws, different uh, style of the way the laws, the rules, the regulations are written. But having served in the Attorney General's office for 15 years, both litigating civil cases and prosecuting a limited number of criminal cases, it gave me a great experience and skill set to then apply to my service in the military and helping our soldiers uh, in a very dynamic way. I knew of community-based support systems to refer them to because very often legal issues, just as with civilian, it's the same as with civilians as it is with soldiers. Oftentimes, legal issues aren't strictly legal issues. Mm. It has to do with family issues, financial issues, maybe some personal struggles they're going through. And to be able to address that in a holistic way, you know, really goes to what I said earlier in putting the soldier in a good place on a positive trajectory so they can do their mission. So my experiences at the AG's office and just working in local uh, politics and on the city council has helped. It's been a very um, uh, positive sort of marriage or blending. And also, our, you know, my connections with our local veterans organizations has been very helpful. Uh, the local veterans community has been great supporters of the 411 Civil Affairs Battalion and vice versa. We have a uh, really dynamic relationship between the city, veterans organizations, and our reserve soldiers here in Danbury. Very positive one. Mm -hmm. So there's room to um, find the gray areas in the uh, legal um, situation, some of the legal situations you find yourself adjudicating, it sounds like. Absolutely. Look, just as a prosecutor has prosecutorial discretion, mm. you know, um, there's judges have sentencing discretion. When you're looking at a legal issue for a person, a soldier, or for a unit, you have to think about it in the context of what are the second and third order effects. What is the best thing to do? You know, maybe punishment or uh, administrative reprimands are the appropriate approach, or maybe something less. And always thinking about what is the organic cause, uh, mm -hmm. what is, what's sort of driving the problem. And so what I try to do is to look at a case or a soldier or an issue within the unit as is there something deeper than just what's on the face that may be violating or pushing the envelope of a regulation or law and how can we resolve it in a positive way both to address and correct the violation but to put the soldier, the unit or the person who needs legal support on a positive trajectory forward. Hmm. That's very good. And were you married when you joined the military? 
the reserves? I was actually engaged mm. uh, to my wife, Valerie, and uh, I went to officer basic uh, training about a month after taking my oath, month and a half, so in January of 06, and then about uh, eight months later, uh, eight or nine months later, Valerie and I were married in October. And so what did she think about you joining the military at the beginning of your married life? I think when, uh, when I first received the letter uh, stating that I had been accepted for commissioning into the Judge Advocate General Corps, I think she was a little surprised at first that this is something that I really wanted to do. But after we talked about it, she has been amazingly supportive through this, as have my children who are now 10. I have twins, Jacob and Sabrina. Mm-hmm. And It underscores something that I always mention when I'm speaking across the state as commissioner, that I thank veterans and service members for their service, but also the families, because especially in this day of protracted conflict overseas and a a greater reliance on our National Guard and reserve personnel, families are even more involved and Mm -hmm. are needed to support their service members and also on the active duty side. But family members serve with the military personnel when they are deployed, and they also serve when they return home, whether they have visible or invisible wounds of war or simply are having uh, some difficulty adjusting to civilian life and getting back into work. So it is the service of our men and women in uniform and their families that really matters. I think a lot of people forget that, that the families serve as well. There are really uh, a lot of... Um challenges with uh, supporting the person who's over who's serving in the military. Yeah, I, I have seen um, personnel in a unit I was formerly in and um, who were lawyers and whose firms struggled when they were deployed. Um, also, children who, uh, you know, for maybe a year or two at a time, maybe only saw a mother or father. And let's remember, these are mothers and fathers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, only saw them maybe for block leave for two weeks in a 20 or 24-month period. Yeah. Missed birthdays, soccer games, all the usual things. And so it's an adjustment to come back. And families struggle at times. And so they need community support. And the military has done a great thing with what are called FRGs, family readiness groups. Mm. Uh, In the past uh, decade and a half, the military has really stepped forward to provide a a significant amount of more support services than had existed in the past. And I really compare, and it's sad, but it is, it's good in a way. It's sad that during the Vietnam era and, and when those military personnel, those veterans were coming home, they didn't have those support services. They didn't have the support of the public and the broader community. We've learned from those mistakes. And I always say, you know, whether you agree or disagree with the conflict or with our national policy or military policy, don't blame the men and women who are serving. They didn't decide to start a conflict they don't get to decide how it's fought, mm-hmm. and uh, they certainly are not the ones sitting at the negotiating table. So let's support them. We can oppose a political decision, but let's not oppose or undermine our men and women in uniform. Mm. I think that uh, most people have that feeling now, right? Yeah. They I, support the, the I, I absolutely I agree with that. It's very different than it was um, you know, 40 years ago, quite literally 40, 45 years ago. Even in World War II, everybody supported – mostly supported the war and everything. But the uh, military people were discharged. They they were in the military one day. They were at home the next more or less and uh, that was that. They didn't get any – it's not that they didn't get any support but they were on their own basically. There were millions who were discharged. We went from 
between 12 to 13 million men and women in uniform and auxiliaries uh, to, uh, I think, discharging close to eight or nine, almost 10 million, and then a buildup again in Korea. Mm -hmm. But you're right. There were benefits and programs like the GI Bill and reemployment, but not the broad base of services, particularly, I think, to address what we now refer to as PTS or PTSD, those invisible wounds of war and traumatic brain injury. Mm. I think we've realized over the years that many of the ailments and psychological issues that some of our veterans suffered in the post-World War II, post-Korean, post-Vietnam period, now we know what caused those. Mm -hmm. And we didn't then, or we didn't realize the scope of what those men and women were going through when they came home. It wasn't really that long ago, but it took a um, – They had people had no idea what was going on with uh, service members from World War II, Korea, probably Vietnam either. And uh, at least there's some recognition now that uh, you can't just dump them on the sidewalk in front of their house anymore and uh, expect things to return to normal. Absolutely. Transitioning is the issue, is the key here. So – there are many military skill sets that are transferable to civilian society. These are disciplined individuals. They can follow orders. They can also think for themselves and lead. But they need to transition and have a period of time where they're transitioning that military skill set and applying it on the civilian side. And that's something we do as a society now so much better. Mm -hmm. The state veteran uh, Department of Veterans Affairs, the federal VA and other community-based organizations working together with state and federal – other state and federal agencies like Department of Labor have done an amazing job, particularly over the last couple of decades, in looking at how to transition military personnel to civilian life to jobs and to housing in a positive way that supports them. Mm -hmm. How about the education higher ed side? The uh, We have uh, the numbers uh, I've seen vary, but there's at least a couple hundred veterans here on campus taking classes. And we have services here at WestCon for them uh, that probably were better, are better than they were 20 years ago or more um, robust. Okay. But... Um, how does the gov does the government outside the university help the uh, young men and women come back to school? Yeah, so both the federal VA, the Department of Defense, um, each branch of the military, as well as state departments of Veterans Affairs, like that here in Connecticut, have a multitude of programs to assist with that transition. You know, Connecticut has a tuition waiver law uh, mm -hmm. for those who have served uh, overseas and have served uh, in wartime, as well as uh, you know, a broad scope of other programs and services, including assistance with housing, temporary housing, transitional housing is available, but the goal is to move them to permanent community-based housing. But you know, government you know, cannot do it all, and there are so many community-based organizations that are our partners in this, that provide employment, that provide resume building workshops, how to go to interviews and to and to explain what you did in the military in a way that is understandable by civilians mm -hmm. so that they know what your skill sets are. You know, and the the other issue here is obviously with education. So you may have individuals who enlisted right out of high school. They're coming back. They're, I guess we call them maybe a non-traditional student. Now they're in their mid-20s mm -hmm. and they're coming back to school. And I can see a, a massive difference. I was here at WestCon 25 years ago. And now the 
veterans I know who attend uh, school here, who attend uh, the university here as well as across the state, I hear from them how many more supportive services there are discussion groups, the oasis is mm-hmm. that are around, if I said that correct, oasis is <laughs> around the state uh, for our veterans in various uh, universities and colleges are really an amazing support system. But it also underscores another thing, not just having an organization or having a benefit or program, it's connecting those who serve with each other so they can share mm-hmm. their stories and serve as a mutual support system. I've seen it with older veterans and with younger veterans, that when they are with those who have experienced that which they experienced, that connection is incredibly helpful psychologically. It boosts the morale, but also they can share how they became successful, what jobs were out there, how they dealt with some of the difficulties when they returned home. And that is an invaluable um, asset to have now that I don't think existed as much two or three or four decades ago. Mm. We have a veterans lounge here, which I've, uh, which has been around for a few years. And I've thought, I've wondered whether that really is uh, how valuable that is, but there's a case where it would be uh, valuable. No one but veterans are allowed in there and they, um, I assume, get a chance to get to know each other and talk. It's something that's very similar to what are known as coffee houses. Mm. So the the coffee houses initiative uh, here in Connecticut began several years ago, and what it now has become is veterans come together, whether for coffee and breakfast. Um, sometimes they're once a week, sometimes once a month, uh, in various areas of the state, just to listen to maybe a speaker for five or ten minutes and to talk with each other, to have coffee together. Sometimes you may have 10 or 15, or I went to one uh, across the state in the quiet corner up in the northeast. Mm -hmm. There was almost 60 veterans there, Mm. ranging from Vietnam right up through the current conflicts that were involved. That's basically the whole population up there. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's really amazing. It's a very rural area, but that area of Connecticut actually has the largest number of veterans and current service members in particular because of the sub-base being in the second Mm. district over there. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a lot of veterans in Connecticut. People are surprised for a small state. uh, The last census, it's somewhere between 180 to 200,000 veterans in the state from, you know, all branches and Mm. all all times of service. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Uh, The first veterans coming back to school, university, college, I would think it just Coming back and sitting in a classroom surrounded by 18 and 19-year-olds who haven't seen anything like what they've seen is um, difficult. It's a whole – it's um, uh, that part of the transition that maybe is – and they need uh, to think about and need some uh, guidance for, right? I think, yes, it, it puts in perspective – let's say, what people might think is difficult in their daily life mm-hmm. and then to compare that to what that uh, member of the armed forces went through, what that veteran went through, particularly those who served in theater, in mm-hmm. combat operations or direct support of combat operations. But also, um, no matter where an individual served, uh, the time away from family, the sacrifices and the physical endurance or the, the physical challenges they had to go through in training, uh, you know, those also impact. So, you know, everyone has a different experience in the military. Uh, there are those sim- experiences that are close or similar to each other, but each comes back with a different, slightly different perspective. And I think that 
speaking. So a civilian, uh, a fellow student, just asking them, not did you fight? Did you kill anyone? You mm-hmm. know, oftentimes, you know, kids will ask those questions or some people just not thinking mm-hmm. uh, in the moment will ask that question. Instead, you know, ask them, what branch were you in? You know, um, I'm just interested, where did you serve or mm-hmm. what was your job? Because in the military, everyone has a job. Right. Ask them what they did, what they learned. Uh, and or just start off if they even want to talk about it. Maybe they don't. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just want to learn more about the local community here and just about what the experience is at Western Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So just open that door to dialogue and it will flow from there. That's great advice for all of us, including the administration and staff, uh, faculty too, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, don't I, I've seen sort of two dynamics occur when a someone returns home um, or – and I've heard them tell me this. They either – people don't ask them anything about their military service and just think, well, the individual, he doesn't or she doesn't want to talk about that. They just want to do the civilian thing or ask too much. Mm. So it's it's a balance but open the door to dialogue and it will flow naturally in its own course. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. So how have you found the job of commissioner? Is that is it uh, uh, has it been different than you thought it would be or uh, presented different challenges than you thought you had worked as a um, chief of staff and general counsel in the veteran affairs office before you were commissioner? Yeah, it's definitely a different than what I initially expected. I came on about three and a half years ago as a chief of staff and general counsel for former Commissioner Conley. And then when he uh, stepped aside to seek some other professional opportunities last October, um, I became the acting commissioner and then commissioner. So I've been in the official position for uh, just just about a year now uh, as acting and then um, confirmed commissioner. What I found that was different than what I expected is actually the amount of contact that as a commissioner I have with individual veterans. Hmm. So while I'm running an agency and all the administrative tasks that come along with that, there is a significant amount and importance to that personal contact. Uh, I am overwhelmed when I have veterans, World War II veterans, who shake my hand and say, thank you, Commissioner, for what you do. And I respond, it's it's not what I do. It's what you did Mm -hmm. in serving your country. And it's what we as a team at the Department of Veterans Affairs do for our patients in our healthcare facility, for our residents uh, in our our housing and residential facilities, but also just for all the veterans across the state, but also so many other state agencies. I have realized that there's such a scope of services and programs out there and community-based providers that are ready and willing to help our veterans and service members. And so connecting our veterans and service members with those programs and services and providers is so important. So people say, what is one of the biggest challenges? And it's connectivity. Hmm. In a day and age when we're so connected with smartphones and the internet, oftentimes it's not that the technology isn't there. It's getting that veteran or that service member to connect with the program or service, telling them it's okay to reach out or telling a family member it's okay to reach out. And even if you might not be in need now, you might not know what's out there for you to help you. And even if it's not something you need now or your family needs now, maybe sometime in the future. So I always encourage people, go to our website. You just Google Connecticut Department Veterans Affairs or CTDVA, 
and there's a, a, a broad scope of information there. But also it connects you to our federal partners. And, you know, with mm-hmm. smartphones being the, uh, the, uh, the tool of the day, we have an app that can be downloaded and connect veterans and service members and family members in real time to programs and services. So is there a reluctance of uh, some veterans to take advantage or learn about what is out there for them? I think some don't know what's available. Also, what is available changes. Mm. So I've had many veterans tell me, well, Commissioner, you know, I applied for service-connected disability or something because I have a certain type of cancer or Mm. another ailment. But I was told that that's not connected with my service, whether – and then – Over the years, though, that which is considered service-connected has changed, particularly with, you know, those who suffered the uh, aftermath of Agent Orange. Mm -hmm. And so if someone was denied a service or a program because of, you know, purported ineligibility 10, 15, 20 years ago, they may be eligible now. So I always encourage those to come back to, to seek more information, see if the laws have changed, if the rules have changed, but also just to know what may be available in the future, benefits for your family. And, you know, these benefits, these programs and services were earned mm-hmm. through service. There's another dynamic is I often hear a veteran will say, well, you know what? I don't need that program and service. Someone else needs it more than me. And when I tell them, it, you know, that is incredibly honorable. But Generally, now there are limited dollars at times, but generally the programs and services are available for all those who are in need. So if a veteran avails himself of a program or service, they're not displacing someone else. Mm-hmm. For, you know, it, with most of our programs and services, that is certainly the case. They're not displacing someone else by uh, seeking that service for themselves. So you're an advocate for veterans in the state, uh... And would you describe yourself that way? Absolutely. And is that um, not different than uh, your predecessor or or recent past probably, but you mentioned Agent Orange. And I don't remember all the details, but certainly there was a big push by the government, the federal government, to say, oh, no, Agent Orange didn't hurt anybody, for instance. And obviously it did. It was pouring pesticide on people or being... um, involved in pesticide application or um, not pesticide but uh, killing plants Do you, you know yeah that made you would you know maybe make you sick you might think that that's not a good thing to take a bath in well when there's a chemical that can defoliate mm-hmm. vast stretches of a land uh, clearly there was something that would impact humans negatively who came in contact with that and mm-hmm. When you talk about, you know, my predecessor or previous administrators in the state of Connecticut or previous uh, VA administrators and, uh, you know, at the federal level, there has been a significant change over the years to recognize the, for lack of a better word, the fallout from the use of various chemicals. Also, there is now issues with regard to the burn pits uh, in the, from the Gulf War and even from uh, the current conflicts that we're involved in, as well as um, you know, residual impacts, those who maybe were in the Blue Water Navy, for, for mm. example, Vietnam, Blue Water Navy uh, individuals who suffered from ailments related to Agent Orange, but they weren't boots on ground in Vietnam. They were maybe 8, 10, or 12 miles offshore, oftentimes closer, but they drank water drawn from 
the mainland. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, we're involved with shipping containers and cargo that may have contained chemicals and these defoliating uh, uh, agents. So there's still a broad scope of ailments that need to be reviewed and considered as service-connected. And unfortunately, we often only learn of them years or even decades later because they manifest themselves in various ways, diseases, chronic diseases, acute diseases um, that aren't known or didn't, weren't realized at the time of discharge or a year or two after the individuals came home. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you in charge of the hospitals in the state? So this, this is a common uh, area of discussion or explanation. So there are three veterans uh, hospitals in the state of Connecticut. Uh, two are federal. Mm. One is in Newington and one is in West Haven. Those are the Federal Department of Veterans Affairs. Those are acute care surgical hospitals. Uh, West Haven has long-term overnight care for surgery and Newington is predominantly outpatient. Uh, and they provide a broad range of federal services. The Rocky Hill facility that I am commissioner of, that's our main campus in Rocky Hill, Connecticut, we have a long-term chronic disease facility, long-term care for veterans. We are not a surgical hospital. We also have a residential facility for individual veterans, male and female, and we have five family homes Hmm. for veterans with eligible dependents, spouse, and or children. And that is at our Rocky Hill campus. But around the state, we also have veteran service officers in each of the congressional districts. Mm. And these VSOs, these veteran service officers, represent at no charge veterans and their eligible dependents in claims for federal, state, and local benefits. These are those service-connected benefit claims, pension claims, uh, and other benefits um, that these veterans or their eligible dependents, such as some children or widows may be eligible for, are seeking. And so our veteran service officers around the state represent them in in those claims. And we have a great partnership with the federal VA. So we co-manage our veterans' care. So many of the veterans that are in our long-term health care center in Rocky Hill receive their acute care Um, from a primary care provider from the federal VA. So it is a partnership uh, between the State Department of Veterans Affairs and the Federal Department of Veterans Affairs. Hmm. So the uh, federal VA has the most employees of any government agency, and mm, I don't pay too much attention to it or every day, but, you know, often it's just in a mess, right? Something horrible is going on at the hospitals or the uh, commissioner is getting fired or secretary and um, there's an uproar. So it sounds like it's a very difficult uh, operation to manage. Is that translate on a slightly smaller level here or is it more manageable here? Well, I'd say, you know, because of the size of the federal VA, even, you know, not even when, when they are doing things right and more often than not, they are and mm-hmm. they are providing great service to veterans and their dependents across the country and in the territories of mm. the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unfortunate that there was not the understanding of the impact of those returning from the recent conflict since 9-11, what impact that would have on the federal VA. It, the obviously the amount of personnel involved in these wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and other operations around the globe, as well as the length 
of the conflict, the length of time was underestimated from the beginning. And so the federal VA was not ready for this number of personnel to need VA services. So they had to beef up their staff, and they did. But in the meantime, there were significant deficiencies. I can tell you, though, that Connecticut VA, uh, the federal VA in Connecticut, in Newington and in West Haven, are among the highest rated state VA, well, federal VA uh, facilities in any state. They do an amazing job. We at the state level work directly with them, with the local director of the federal VA, Dr. Jerry Culleton, and um, they do an amazing job here. And when you have the largest federal agency that, that cares for hundreds of thousands of individuals, there, of course, are going to be missteps. That's not acceptable, and they must be corrected. But that is something that I think the VA is moving in a very positive direction with um, the new Secretary uh, Wilkie, who has uh, who has long experience in the federal VA, who himself uh, is, I believe, a lieutenant colonel in the reserve. And so he's currently serving as well. Mm. I think he has done a great job with reaching out to state departments of Veterans Affairs and maintaining that connectivity with all his federal um, VA facilities throughout the, the nation and our territory. So we always need to look at improvements that need to be made and to correct any deficiencies because it's unacceptable that a veteran has to wait for weeks or months for an appointment or, you know, heaven forbid, a medical mistake or an oversight occurs. So improvements can always be made, but I think we're moving in the right direction. More staff, I think, though, is needed, uh, particularly in processing claims because, again, many more claims are coming in than were expected 10 or 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Can I shift just to a, a little more personal question? We're recording this um, before the state elections, just before Veterans Day. So what happens to you after the election for governor? Well, as I've told my staff and veterans that I meet with around the state is that, you know, I serve at the pleasure of whoever is the sitting governor. And whatever is the result of the election, I tell people they're is a, there will be a new governor sworn in in uh, January 2019. So I will see what happens. I certainly would enjoy continuing to serve as commissioner. It has been an amazing and fulfilling experience for me. Uh, but in the meantime, what I've told my staff, what I tell our veteran patients and residents and veterans around the state is I'm doing my job to put the agency in as strong a footing and a position it can be so it can carry on no matter who is commissioner because ultimately it's not about the commissioner individually. It's about the functionality of an agency to carry out our mission and our mission is serving those who have served. And with four simple words, there's an awesome responsibility because mm-hmm. it's only due to those who have served and those who continue to serve that we can live in this this great nation, this free and democratic country. Mm-hmm. So um, – I, again, certainly like to stay on as commissioner, but that being said, my job is to do that which puts the agency in the best position possible for the long term to serve our veterans. Now, you think about veterans and veterans issues all every day, all year long, but uh, we're heading towards uh, Veterans Day. So what would be your message to the public about uh the state of veterans uh, now and uh, what we should be thinking about uh, our veteran population here in Connecticut? You know, I, I want to start off sort of responding to that by 
talking about the milestone that this Veterans Day uh, is or marks. It's 100 years <laughs> since what was then known as Armistice Day occurred, the ceasefire and the armistice on November 11th, 1918, ending World War One. <laughs> which shortly thereafter was referred to as the war to end all wars or the Great War because nobody at the time could really conceive that could, there could be another war of a scale beyond that which millions, hundreds of millions of people went through and tens of millions of people, civilian and military, suffered and perished or were wounded. It's 100 years ago, November 11th, that, that those documents were signed. So... We all know throughout that last, this previous century, so many other wars have occurred, so many tens of millions lost in those wars. So what I think Americans should think about is what we can do as a society to support those who have gone through the conflicts, those who have served and continue to serve, but also collectively not just remember, memorialize, or thank, because words are important, but words must be matched with actions. And those actions are that which I spoke about a little earlier, is providing program services and benefits, embracing those who return home, those who are discharged from military duty, supporting those who continue to serve and their families. But also, we need to look at how we can do better in avoiding conflicts in the future in maintaining dialogue, whether amongst ourselves as a nation internally and externally, but always standing ready with our military to engage, if necessary, for the protection of this nation, our allies, and to maintain freedom around the globe. So it's a balance. And again, as I said earlier, while we may disagree with domestic or national policy, I think we do, not I think, I know, we do need to support our military and our veterans. And on this November 11th, just think back that, you know, as a kid, I remember meeting, knowing uh, World War I veterans, mm -hmm. you know, in the 70s and even into the 80s. And mm -hmm. they are all gone now. And now our World War II veterans are approaching that time when there are very few. We are lucky to have... Uh, you know, a, a number of World War II veterans in Danbury um, who served with great distinction. I had the honor of serving on the city council with John Esposito. Mm -hmm. He served in the Pacific. He's 94 years old, still an active guy, Gentleman John, as we call him. He uh, had four amphibious landings and was wounded on Iwo Jima, an mm. amazing man. But we're losing those World War II veterans. And so let's not let them leave their temporal existence without reaching out and thanking them or any of our veterans, no matter what the conflict, whether they served in peacetime or in war, domestically or abroad, you know, no matter their branch, they served, they raised their right hand, they took that oath to protect and defend this nation, but not only us, but millions of people across the globe. So let's think about that on Veterans Day and also that while November 11th is officially Veterans Day, you know, I say this often that I think each day should be Veterans Day. You know, so well, you know, we commemorate that on the calendar specifically. Let's remember them year-round. Mm. Those are great thoughts. Sounds like you're doing a great job as commissioner. I appreciate your work there. And um, 
It's nice to know you and uh, having worked with you in Danbury, too. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so thankful for this opportunity and appreciate the university's support of our veterans and service members and the great programs you have here. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you. Before Barbara joins us, I want to remind listeners that this may be the best podcast at WestCon, but it's not the only podcast. Today we'll talk about The Compassionate Achiever with hosts Dr. Chris Cook and Tracy Day. They examine compassion and how it fits into our daily lives and how to add more of it. Last week they talked about Halloween and how to make that more compassionate. Pete, what are Chris and uh, Tracy talking about this week? I don't know. Oh. Yeah. No, this week they're coming in a little late. They're going to do a Friday recording instead of their usual uh, Wednesday. So we will find out. So keep an eye on on their feed uh, as well as this one for, mm-hmm. for any new episodes. So it'll be almost like a live broadcast. Yeah, it's about as close as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> and as regular listeners know, WCSU 411 also comes to you from Western Connecticut State University, offering a high-quality, affordable education. That's the university, not the podcast. If you have questions about enrolling at WestCon, send an email to admissions at wcsu.edu. And now, here's our co-host, Barbara Viegas. I saw this. Okay, so are we getting started now? Just we like, can. I wanna, yeah, I want to talk yeah. about this stuff like in, in here, okay. in the thing. But I'm going to pull it up. I just saw like a bunch of like this awesome like um, thing on Facebook, like describing um, like different people that were elected. So like the first Muslim woman in Congress was elected. The first black congresswoman from Massachusetts. Um, first Native American woman in Congress. First Muslim woman in Congress again. Youngest woman elected to Congress. First openly gay man elected governor. First Native American woman in Congress again. First black congressperson from Colorado. First openly gay congressperson from New Hampshire. First black woman attorney general of New York. First black congresswoman from Connecticut. First Muslim statewide elected official in the U.S. Youngest state legislator in the U.S. First lesbian mother in Congress. First woman senator of Tennessee. So, like, there's so many people that were elected that are, like, you know, diverse. And I know. this is awesome. Like, I just thought it was so cool. Like, over 100 women were elected to the United States House of Representatives. That's the most that's, ever, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, mm-hmm. such a good step forward. Like, it's, like, been a while since, like, people have been happy about elections. <laughs> or at least I have. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're recording the day after Election Day, if you haven't figured it out. Yeah. But... So we're cool. talking politics here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I thought it was like awesome. Like mm. all these different, it's just so important to have like diversity in the people that represent you, yep. you know? Yep. But still politicians get in trouble for that. Johanna Hayes, who's in the district I live in, who's a new congresswoman from Connecticut, um, started out by saying, hey, we need people like me who look like me or people like me in Congress, and some of her Democratic, um, some Democrats who should be normally supporting her said, hey, uh, you know, I'm not a black woman, so I'm not going to uh, vote for her because I want people, basically they're saying I want people, I don't to relate to her, I want people to look like me in Congress. So um, it's still a tough message. Uh, it's just like, it's not about like 
I think I feel like that's wrong. Like it's not about looking like me or looking like you. It's about diversity. That's right. Like, she need... wasn't saying that either. She yeah, was saying yeah. someone from a tough background. She was a you know teenage mother, et cetera. Yeah. Like I totally understand like the message and stuff. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. People just like to twist everything and like just make it bad. And it's like even like um like affirmative action programs and stuff for like colleges, like they need a compelling a com- um what is it? A um they need hmm. a comp- what is it? It's a oh my god, I say this every single I say this word like at least three times a week for my argument. It's um Ah It's like I- a reason, right? No, 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 no. They need Okay, well, let's just like cut right here and then like act like I didn't <laughs> act like I didn't take like eight hours to to think of this word. Just give me a second. Enter the Jeopardy theme song. Like, do like do like some background music, or like ticking clock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Girl from Ipanema. <laughs> critical mass. That's what it is. Oh a critical mass. That's what it is. Sorry, <laughs> I'm like screaming. <laughs> but yeah, you need a critical mass um, of a diverse population, basically, to. And that's like kind of like the way that you get away, get a get around like doing a quota because you can't do a quota. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. unconstitutional. But um, if if an affirmative action program with like a university needs that, like imagine in Congress, in like the right. House, like in politics, like you need a critical mass of people that are diverse and that represent different issues because, like that's like you want to vote for people that like you can that kind of like emulate you that you like you can like rely on and like understands like your perspective because like if it's all like certain yeah that's true you know white males exactly. well yeah it should it should reflect the diversity of the population you yeah. would think mm-hmm. that's like it the hasn't whole point. for a very very long time yeah like so. ever ever yeah. ever literally i mean that was the problem with the constitution right and i getting this from a podcast i listened to uh the podcast or the constitution says the right things and kind of moves us in the right direction, but there were a lot of um, missing parts there, and it didn't account for women or anybody else besides white men and there's mostly a, who own property. There's a lower standard for women um, for, like, um, why am I, like, blanking on everything I have? So I'm going – so on Friday I'm going to Florida to argue this, like, argument. Um, for school? To, yeah, to, hmm. like – not argue this argument. Oh my god, I'm like illiterate today. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> is it a contest? I hope not. It, it actually like... is, but I have like notes in front of me, which is okay. why like I don't have them right now. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't rely. Like I, obviously I rely on them, <laughs> but like it has like all the case law and everything. But um, basically there's like a, a lower standard. It's like strict scrutiny and intermediate scrutiny mm-hmm. when looking at discrimination. So race is held to strict scrutiny, which it makes sense. You know the whole. Mm-hmm. 14th Amendment was made after the Civil War because of racism. Right. But, like, women are held to a lower standard, um, saying that, like, in discrimination cases type of thing, like, it's a lower standard when you look at if a woman was discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And as much as, like, it makes sense, kind of, because women are biologically different than men and, like, it's more than just, like, a facial race thing, right. yep. it's still, like, like, what? Like, it's. St- I feel like it should still be strict scrutiny, even though, like, precedent and case law and everything just says, like, it's intermediate scrutiny. Um, when like looking at that kind of thing, but like to me, it's just like all right, women it's time are to step up. accepted in the most rigorous military uh, combat battalions, right? Yeah, battalion may not be the right word, but in the uh, they can fight in any. They've been accepted in the Army Rangers. Yeah, there's a woman who the first woman Navy jet Steel. fighter pilot ran for Congress. Did she the, win? I don't know. Amy McGrath. I don't remember her name. Yeah, she All was I a, remember she was, was a marine a fighter. fighter pilot. And, no, she did not win. 
Was Aww. she Republican or Democrat? Uh, I thought she was Democrat. Yeah. She ran in Kentucky 6th. Against another woman. Uh, yeah, I think so. This whole women thing, I'm just so excited about it. Like, there's so many women now, like, in politics. And, like, there always have been some women, but, like, I feel like it's just, like, it, it's, like, mm-hmm. evening out now. Like, obviously never, like, not now evening out. Now that there's 25% like, of women in Congress. Yeah. There's, yeah. Less than 25%. Yeah. It's definitely not even at all. It's not mm. even close. But we're getting somewhere. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. Yep. Um, you can see the progress. Yeah. Um, anyway, so events? I guess so. That's what happens here on campus during election time. We all get excited. So um, Thursday the 8th, that's when this is coming out, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so there are senior portraits in class rings. Um, campus In the campus, actually, no, it's on the west side. So today, on this is recording on Wednesday, it was in on the Midtown campus. Now it's on the west side campus. 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Um, and where does your senior portrait go? It's basically... Um, Just so a you, picture you get. So, yeah, you have to, like, buy it, I think, after. So, like, they'll send oh, yeah. you, like, proofs and stuff, and then you'll, mm-hmm. you'll just buy your portraits and stuff. But we don't, at the moment, have a... What's it called? A yearbook. Uh, yearbook I don't we think. don't... See, that's what I was... I was, like... When my boyfriend graduated, Nick, he he got a yearbook, and I was like, "What? Like yearbooks are, are a thing in college? Like I had no idea." And I was like, "Oh, it's cool. I might get a yearbook." But we don't have a yearbook. I don't think so. This year, we <sighs> every uh, few years we get a yearbook club, Why? But, but this year we haven't. That's so dumb. You have three weeks left. You can put together no. a yearbook. <laughs> oh my god, I would die. I have no time for that. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. I was looking forward to it. I was like, I'm gonna get a yearbook, like, because I got a yearbook in high school. They Every superlatives year. and everything. Mm-hmm. They should have done superlatives. I've found old ones kicking around campus over the years and found people I know that work here when, you know, from yeah. 1979 or 1992 or whatever. It's it's really funny. At least I won't have anything to hold against me. That's right. <laughs> like Kavanaugh. But, yeah. It's all- <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, uh, oh, you just knocked the thought right out of my head. <laughs> Yeah, because now you think that he's, because now you're just remembering that he's a justice now. It's, ooh, excuse me. It's great. It's amazing. <laughs> justice Kavanaugh for life. You can take your own. What do you do with the picture if there's no yearbook, though? You can take your own picture, can't you? What do you Not mean? Not that I want to take oh, money well, away yeah, from you the photo like, people. There's but. so many people that do, like, graduation photo shoots, which is so much cheaper than, I don't know. Actually, I don't know how much it is for I just know that I didn't buy my proofs for high school, so I doubt you I'm going to buy, yeah. buy them for college. But mm-hmm. they were so nice in high school. Like, I literally just have to talk to my friend about this today because I just took my pictures today, too. Um, and I was like, I should have bought the high school ones. Like, it's so – they were so cute. Mm-hmm. And it was so nice. Like, it feels real now because, like, now – I know, like, it must, must feel real for everyone that's graduating in May, but, like, I'm graduating next month. Mm-hmm. And, like, I didn't feel like it. And then now, like, I took the picture for, like, the diploma and, like, the, <laughs> the cap and the gown and everything. And I was like, oh, my God, like, it's um, – I'm there. <laughs> hey, that's cool. Poor Pete's probably, like, lowering my mic so much. <laughs> it's all right. Like, <laughs> today's an exciting All you have to day. do is take your finals, right, and pass. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. You're all on track with that, right? Yeah, no messing around. I took my club, the... t- club exam. Oh, yeah. I passed. You did? Yes, I did. Hey, so six credits right there, right? Yep. So now You're I'm good. You're all set. Mm. As long as I pass my classes, I'm, I'm good to graduate, which is awesome. And I also signed up for um, my Kaplan LSAT class hmm. in February. Good. 
it's like a month of classes just like rigidly trying to prepare you for the LSAT and then March the end of March 30 March 30th I take the LSAT no kidding boy you're right on the path <sighs> yes and then in the meantime I'm also like doing um, applications and all that for hmm. colleges and no kidding you said uh, you were you said you weren't doing all that because you're so busy yeah I'm not I'm not doing it like right at the moment but mm. after I graduate in December yeah. that's when I'm gonna start doing all that stuff because you can um I know because I'm I'm lucky that I have like this month or not this month this sem- last semester mm-hmm. last semester that's true that's like free so that I can do all this stuff and I mm-hmm. have to worry about anything but yeah let's see like I'm gonna apply and everything and like see how much money I can get back in in scholarships and stuff like that and like hopefully Mm-hmm. I can afford it, <laughs> and it works yeah. out. Because if it doesn't, then whatever. I'll just join the workforce for like two years and then try again. Next or you time. take loans, and uh, you have forty years to pay them off. You'll be a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that works. Like I was thinking, I think I'm definitely. I would recommend. I think I don't know if I should recommend it because I haven't done it yet. But like meeting with a financial planner or something, because like I need to. I have no idea how that stuff works. Like I know that like my first year of college here, like I took out a loan for no. That was the stupidest thing I ever did was take out a loan for my first year of. Westcon, like, cause like Westcon's a state school. They're so like fairly priced. Like, I I think it's great. Like, mm-hmm. I'm able to work and school and do school and pay for college like myself, and it's it's awesome. Mm-hmm. But like, why did I take out a loan my first year? I was like, oh my god, like it's so much money. It's not. <laughs> it's not that much money at all. And now I have like this ten thousand dollar loan that's just like sitting there, and I'm like, oh god, what did I do? You have I to think start that's paying it off. The nicest thing you've ever said about Westcon, Barbara. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> that was a commercial right there. Yeah. <laughs> We'll have to repeat it on. Yeah, just like put it on replay and be like, right. <laughs> just like I know I've said a lot of crap, like, <laughs> but it's a good school, like, <laughs> um, yeah. But like I, so I know that when I did that, it was like such a struggle to like figure out like credit and like how to take out a ten thousand dollar loan, like all these things, and like I ended up just doing it. I shouldn't have done it, and like I just have to talk to a financial planner. Like I, I have friend, I have a friend, I have friend, I have friend, <laughs> I have friends, but I have one friend that goes to Quinnipiac Lol, Lol. Wow, Jesus, enunciate. You're you you're graduating. <laughs> it's true, man. You uh, when you go down there in Florida for this thing you're doing. I don't know. You'll have to take uh, deep breathing exercises yeah, or something. Better definitely. go get a Reiki session before exactly. you leave. It sucks too, because like, don't ever tell my professor this. This cannot go live. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. and I'm sure he doesn't listen just because he's a professor. No. And, professors have other things to do i guess mm-hmm. but he i have not edited my my um argument in like a good two weeks like mm. i i should edit it like at least once a week at least and like i just have not had a single moment and we're leaving on friday and i have to have a printed version of it because i don't know if i'm gonna be able to print it on the day like over there i don't know if like the hotel will have a printer or whatever but like tonight i have I, I thought i was like i was like oh cool tonight like i can just work on it and like it's fine because i have two arguments like you have to argue both sides and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, I can do it. And then I was like, hmm, I have class. Did I forget that I have class on Wednesdays? <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah, I did. And then I have another meeting after that, I think. I'm not positive to, like, figure it out to see if I have it or not. It's like every other week. I don't remember. Um, but if I have that, too, then it's, like, nothing. And then tomorrow I work all day from, like, I have, like, uh, I have class from 9.30 to, like, 10.45. And then I have an ELO meeting at 11, and then I have work at 11.30, and then I work until, like, 12 at night again. Mm. So, like, all day. And then Friday I leave. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> and the plane trip isn't that long yeah. either. So, yeah, it's two and a half hours. So and I'm going to be working on that real hard. <laughs> tonight. Yeah. 
And when is um, when you get there in Florida on Friday? When do you have to go do the? I actually, thing? I actually kind of lucky. It. We, it's, we have it on Saturday, so I have yeah. all day Friday. But oh, well, like, let's be real. Like, I'm gonna be on the beach. Like, come on. <laughs> let's just, just. I'm a college student still. <laughs> That's my excuse. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So. That you can't was, study on the beach. Actually, I told this. So our professor, our advisor, not advisor, professor that's going with us, um, he was like, so when do you want to argue? Like, we should argue at least once on Friday. He, I, he was like, uh, do you want to do afternoon or evening? And we're like, come on, dude. Like, <laughs> so I was like, he was like, do you want to argue before? And I was like, I was like, how about we argue on the beach? Like, <laughs> no notes, like, just like do it on the beach. And he's like, okay, fine. Like, <laughs> Really? Yeah. So That's good. Yeah. Which professor is this? Uh, Professor Miller. Hmm. And what does he teach? He teaches, uh, well, this is the first time moot court is a class. Oh. Um, again, actually, no, I think it's the first time it's a class. Before it was like a, a club or something. Yeah. But So you'll be in the moot court uh, competition. Yeah. It, I think the official name is like, I don't even know what it is. But trial. Moot court trial. I don't know. I know that it's the moot court association. And that looks really good on college or on law school applications. They like factor that in like a lot. That if you do that, so that's really awesome. Like it's a great opportunity. You, I'm almost positive you have to be recommended. So hmm. if you are a JLA student and want to do it, um, you can talk to Miller if he knows you. If you had a class with him, he also takes into consideration like uh, students that have worked with Dwyer, mm-hmm. um, Professor Dwyer. He's that's how he found me. I was recommended by Dwyer. Um, so yeah, that's good. So, who other what other schools are you competing against? Um, just like, I don't know. It's like all around like different. I know obviously like Florida schools and then whoever else wants to, cause there's so many different, um, moot court tournaments. Mm-hmm. So it's like whoever, oh, whatever schools sign up. So if you win though, then that's good for your resume too. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I have like, I don't know. So my partner, um, actually dropped out. Oh. Um, he dropped out like in the first month. After the first month of doing it, like we did it him? all summer. Actually, I think it was Miller. Mm. <laughs> so, um, so basically, he did all the summer work. Well, he actually, he didn't do all the summer work. He was my partner. I was like so annoyed with him because I was like, "Weird, this is due. Like, have you done it? No. Okay, cool. Like, great. Like, I was lucky because I have my argument and he has his. Like, I do the Fourteenth Amendment. He does the First Amendment. So it's huh. like completely different. Mm-hmm. And so I've, like, I was like, whatever. Like, you're just digging your own grave. Like, I don't know. Like. But basically, he dropped out, and so this new um, guy that's coming in, like a saint, like he's like he's great, like he's really trying hard, but like he has only like a month of experience. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we win, like that'd be <laughs> that'd be awesome, but like we have to win as a team. So so he's the First Amendment, you're the Fourth Amendment. Fourteenth. Oh, Fourteenth. Yeah. Oh well, that's pretty good. That's yeah. you have a lot to talk about. Yeah. So uh, hopefully we get far. Yeah. <laughs> but. I give him so much credit because he's coming in like he had to. Re- he had there's a there's ten cases to look at for the First Amendment, and then you have to, like, do a whole argument for both sides and everything. And he did this in like a month or two months, like, so it's, it's awesome. I could do that. I've been working on it since the <laughs> summer. So, <laughs> yeah. The uh, so you'll have that on your resume. You're gonna have the podcast on your resume. <laughs> yes, I have to update my resume. I don't have anything on there. I don't have like. Daryl, I'm working with Daryl. I don't have that on there. I don't have the podcast. I don't have. I think we for so your last show we should go over your resume. 
you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> Would that even be interesting? Yeah, bring in somebody from Career Success Center. And <laughs> That'd be awesome. I've been, I've been meaning to go to their events. I'm just, I'm so lucky. I'm so happy that, like, I've been banking on the fact that their events are open to alumni because I'm like, I have yeah. not gone to a single thing during my, like, career here. But I will go once I'm an alumni because, like, I just have no, I have no time, like mm-hmm. zero time. And no, they 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 give lifetime support mm-hmm. to yeah, any graduates. That's why so I'm you can like always come back so and excited get help. about it. That might be interesting, right? To have somebody come in here and do the resume with you. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, It'd be so so helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if they'll do that. Kill two birds with one stone podcast and resume. Right, and saying goodbye. Oh, let's not talk about it. We have uh, we worked out our schedule. We have the date and everything. So when is the date? That when is our last podcast day? I think it's uh, like the first week in December. Because so finals are the next uh, something like that. Finals are the next week. That's so depressing. I know. Three. There's only four left then. Mm-hmm. After this one, of course. Yeah. Five with this one. Wow, I'm depressed now. I know. It's rough. A year in the making, Paul. <laughs> That's right. How will you ever replace me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> nah, we'll have somebody else different on. And then you can get their life story and that's their right. struggles. Well, that's what I'm thinking. We have to have somebody <laughs> who'll talk about their life story. Uh, you want to talk about my day today, though? Yeah. <laughs> this is never about events. Why is it? Why am I on? I here? think we got one event in there. <laughs> yeah, right? one. The senior we'll wrap portrait. Wrap up with a couple of events. <laughs> Um, so today I had my senior portraits and I had work in the morning and then senior portraits in the middle and then the podcast today at 1145 and then I have class until, um, 215 and then I have moot court, which I had to do my last argument before I leave, Mm. um, at 230 until three and then a dentist appointment at 330 (laughs) and then an Alpha Phi Sigma appointment, not appointment, a meeting at 445 and then I have class at 530 and then I probably have another meeting at, at 830. So, but what's funny is yesterday I, I had, I had like cavities and I got the right side of my, like my right side of my face, like Mm -hmm. numbed and stuff. And it took like four hours for me to gain like feeling back in Mm -hmm. my face. Yeah. And so I'm going to do the same thing this today on the left side because I eat so much freaking M&M, so many peanut M&Ms that I just have so many freaking cavities. It's terrible. So floss, guys. I don't floss. It's terrible. <laughs> you don't I, floss, I brush my uh. teeth, but I don't floss. I should. I. I know my dentist wants to kill me. It's fine. And I'm spending so much money on cavities. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. But I don't have like a ridiculous amount of cavities. I'm not going to tell you how many because it's just sad. <laughs> um, but it's not like five or anything like that. It's not. <laughs> it's oh, okay, less than good. five. That's good. Well, didn't the dentist give you fluoride treatment when you were younger? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> that came in, like when you were younger. Probably. I don't remember. Yeah, I used to get them. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah, probably. You just have bad teeth. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> I just eat a lot of freaking peanut M and M's. Uh-huh. I have to stop. Lay off. Uh, or it's... floss. And floss. Yes. <laughs> and floss. I like and. <laughs> anyway, so back to my story. I almost went to work with, like, half my face numb. Mm. And I thought that I'd work at 4.30, and I actually had to work at 6, so I had time to recover. <laughs> but this time, I'm going to go straight from the dentist to a meeting to class. So, yeah. like, I'm just going to look like an idiot with a lisp for, like, four hours. So, and you're doing your uh, mock trial thing, too, Actually, right? I'm doing it before, so that's oh, lucky. Okay. And, I, and I also, thank the Lord, um, I didn't have any side effects or anything from the Novocaine or anything like that. Hmm. So, because my pictures were this morning. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. Yeah. 
So, yeah, after I do my... I'm just not going to talk. I'm, I, what sucks is I have to lead the meeting because I'm the president. So I'm just like, okay, guys, like the VP is going to take over today. Like I'm, just, I'm not going to speak with a list like a freaking idiot. Hi, guys. How is everyone doing? That's a little microaggression because if you have a lisp, you're not really an idiot. It's okay. No, no, no. I'm an idiot because I did this to myself. Not because I have a lisp, but because I'm going to have a swollen cheek and I'm going to just can't come back in pain. Drooling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, literally. Not just a lisp, but like drooling. Like I can't feel my face. Like just an (laughs) idiot for that reason. You might bite your cheek and start bleeding. Yeah. Spitting blood. It would be great. Yeah. Let's not talk about it, okay? <laughs> but at least my cavities will be gone. For now. And it's small cavities, he said. None of them are big cavities, which mm. means that I I, I, flo- I did not floss, but they're not as bad as they... It's not like a terrible cavity. Mm-hmm. So, small cavities. You just don't get any more cavities. You'll be okay <sighs> yeah. for the rest of your life. I, when I was little, I never had any cavities. None. Really? Like, I was so good. And I never had a cavity until I was like 17. No, 16. And then all of a sudden it was like you have like a thousand cavities. I was like, Crap. Wow. I guess it is a lifestyle thing. You better get uh, change that. Yeah. Let's just like, yeah, I just can't. I can't eat candy anymore. No. Mm-mm. I don't eat candy. I just eat chocolate. Chocolate is my like, like, what is the word? With like Superman? Oh, yeah. You're kryptonite. 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 Yeah, maybe there's other ways to ingest it, like uh, spreading it on your <laughs> your wrist or something and letting it go in Ew. through your skin. I thought you were going to say, like, chocolate-flavored, like, lip balm or something. <laughs> Is that a thing? I don't know. That sounds gross. I bet it's a thing, but it's probably disgusting. Huh. Anyway, um, slang word of the day. Yeah. Um, sus. Mm. That's the word. Can you guess what it means, sus? Figure something out. No. Oh, no. I guess so it's not. actually like. <laughs> Pete just can't That's what look. I would have gone with. Oh, no, okay. that's that's how I know yeah. that word. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Figure something out is sus. That's a, that's a British. Like sus usage, it out. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh. oh, no. Definitely not. We're not cool like that. Hmm. We're not the Brits. They aren't cool. <laughs> I think they're pretty cool. No. No? You're not a fan? Where you like their, their accents or I something? I love their accents. My favorite artist. We should do like a whole, like, we should, first of all, we should be recording these podcasts because. I feel like our facial expressions are so cool. Oh, video. I was going to say, Barbara, we are <laughs> no, recording the podcast. I, Paul looked at me like on the side of it, like a side eye, like, is she stupid? Like, video. I was just waiting for Pete to say something. I was like, do you think this is just a hobby? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah. We just, we just, this is for hey, personal. Great way to kill an hour. Yeah. This is just for our personal archives uh-huh. as blackmail in the future. <laughs> I was thinking about the other day, I was like, damn, like, should I, do I have, like, the right to, like, just be like, oh, I don't want this up anymore. Like, if I ever do something important with my life. Uh, run for, uh, become a, nominated for Supreme Court. Oh, that'd be freaking awesome. I don't even know if that's allowed yet. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, um, sus. They'd be running these out, though. At the, yeah, at they'd the, be like, uh, she swore when she was 21. And that's she right, they're talked all bleeped. About, <laughs> yeah, no, she talked about, what, what are some controversial things we've spoken about? Voting. Yeah. Women. She was a Democrat back then. You went off on I, Trump a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I don't even care, guys. I don't like Trump. That's period. Mm-hmm. period. That'll if, be far in enough future, in the try, future that uh, if in the future won't. I try, I try to like say anything other than that. I'm gonna like kill, shoot myself, like, mm. like that. I, no, like that's just like complete. I'm lying. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing. It's, it's political. Like it's a political tactic. No, 
Trump sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sus. Mm. That that's what that's what the word to describe me if I'm if I'm in the future saying anything other than Trump sucks. Like she's being sus. Suspect. No wow. Ah, suspect. Suspect. Mm. suspect. So cool. it's like I guess that's a one way to say it, but like if so, if so, for example, like in like a teen scenario, um, like if your boyfriend is like, oh, like I'm gonna go work out, and then like you have his location on your phone, and you see that he's actually like not at the gym, he's somewhere else. It's like, oh, why are you being sus? Like, okay, oh, weird, suspicious. Even. Or yeah, exactly. It's like suspicious. It's like don't be sus. Like, or like someone's like, oh yeah, like you're my best friend, but it's like no, like shut up. Like you're obviously like a backstabber. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I yeah. love that. And uh, do you, that leads to the question, do you and your boyfriend trade um, geolocation on your phones? Is no. that a thing you got to do if you're dating someone? Well, honestly, it's like so common, but no, I don't do that. I do it with my mom, though. With your <laughs> like, mom? Yeah. She <laughs> like, so I like never, that was never a thing. And then one day she was just like, can you just like let me know where you are every once in a while? Because like I got my, like a while ago, you know, like years ago, I like bought my own car and everything. Like I did everything. Like I'm doing my own thing. And like now I don't really sleep at home all that often too um so wow okay anyway um because <laughs> <laughs> you know nick has a guest room <laughs> mm-hmm. politics <laughs> family values <laughs> anyway so my mom's like can you just let me know like when you're gonna be home when you're gonna like stay at a friend's house whatever like i just want to know just so like peace of mind I was like, you know what? I should just give you my location. She's like, oh, is that a, that a, that's a thing, Barbara? And I was like, yeah. So I just, like, put it on. I, I have nothing to hide, like, from her. So I was like, yeah, like, okay, sorry. I think I messed this up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, yeah, just put my location. So she always, whenever, like, I get home, she's like, she shows me her phone. She's like, Barbara has arrived at home. <laughs> or, like, when we're leaving together, she gets a notification, like, Barbara is leaving home. She's like, Barbara, did you leave the house? And she's, like, right with me. And I'm like, yes, Mom. Like... <laughs> But yeah, not my boyfriend. I think that's excessive. I don't know. I think that's like not great. It's not, I don't think that's healthy. But it's like so common nowadays. Like friends have their locations. Like I would trade locations with like my best friend and stuff just so like we have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can see if she's being sus when she's like, oh yeah, I came over. I'm in New York. <laughs> no, you're not, girl. Like you're at home. <laughs> but yeah, sus. Thank you. I heard my daughter said lit used lit in a sentence the other day. When I was overhearing, she did not do it for my benefit. <laughs> so. You should be. You should tell her that. She's like, Dad, I'm gonna go to the grocery store. Like, no, you're being sus. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will know. now. Yep. <laughs> I know you're gonna go to the library instead. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Purest of motives. Um, all right, other things to finalize everything. Um, MSA, the Muslim Student Association, is huh? hosting a fastathon. Mm-hmm. Um, on Friday the 9th, it's at 6 p.m. They're having, like, a big dinner because they fasted for, like, a while. And it's basically, it'll feature a presentation on compassion and religion with several guest speakers, a dinner, and a number of raffles. Admission is free, but donations are welcome. I was going to have them on the podcast sometime. They're awesome. She, Anusha, I, I believe she's the president. Anusha. I'm almost positive. Hmm. I think she is the president. Anusha. Atik. And she's part of West Common Without Border. She's part of C for Diggy. She's, like, cool. so involved. She's so, such a cool girl. Mm-hmm. And they do such cool things at MSA. And they were interested in going to, like, the event. So, actually, I'd probably talk about that. Ugh, there's so much to talk about. 
Do we have time? How long is it? We do have time. Okay. Um, So, Intercultural Affairs and What's Come Without Borders is having an event on the 26th. It's a Connecticut Students for a Dream training for undocumented students and how Hmm. to be um, aware of how to, like, act, how to come about, like, just, like, interacting with them in the workplace kind of thing. And basically it's open to everybody, like any student. Um, and it's mostly for like student leaders, like to become a student leader so that you can like be aware of how to act and all that sort of thing with like undocumented students. And it's free and open to the public. Um, not the, sorry, not open to the public. It's free, open to students. Mm -hmm. And, um, you basically get a certificate of completion at the end. It's a three hour course. It's really cool. Like Connecticut Students for a Dream does it. And it's on the 26th. So if you're interested in going, it's really good a resume builder, too, because you have, like, that sort of training mm-hmm. on how to act, like, how to, like, interact and everything like that, all those sort of – that sort of thing. Um, so you put it on your resume. I have a certificate in, you know – Yeah. I don't know what it's it, – there's a specific name for it. It's, like, peers or something like that. Um, it's really good. It's free, and there's going to be food there, um, like hors d'oeuvres and stuff, like hot food. Um, and it's three hours, 445 to 745 in the student center, 201. Um, I wouldn't, I would, I mean, if you really wanted to just show up, you could probably, I mean, we do have a capacity of like 50 or 60, but I doubt we'll turn you away, you know, but like, it'd be good if you could just like send me an email and register, uh, email is viegas, V-I-E-G-A-S-003 at connect.wcsu.edu. And same thing for, um, the other events that I'm going to talk about. So that one's really great because it's open. We're mm-hmm. we're really gearing it towards like SGA, PAC, IRHA, REC, like all of the core five, or yeah, the big five. Um, to try to see if they can like in Greek life, of, of course, of obviously, of course, um, they're invited. And so mm-hmm. everyone's invited, mm-hmm. and and basically, like I think SGA is going to talk about it um, this week to see if they're going to make it mandatory. But it's really great to. Um, Get your students involved. You know, like you have student leaders that are going to deal with these things every single day, and they exactly. should be educated on how to how to do it. Like, it's not everyone. No one should be ignorant to something that's so relevant right now, like mm-hmm. undocumented students and undocumented people in general. But um, and then again on December first, not again, but December first. If the event goes well, we'll have multiple trainings, which would be great. Um, next semester and the following semesters. Um, and December first, we're having a speaker come on from brazil i think i've talked about the Mm -hmm. event it's official december 5th december 1st um it's a saturday and it starts at five with the reception at 6 30. it's spirituality with or without religion it's it's with um the weekend of events that intercultural affairs is doing with Mm. um campus ministries on like holiday celebrations that's what it's called around the world and basically like you're going to learn about hanukkah kwanzaa christmas all that stuff and then at the end the last event of the series is this this lecture by um Benjamin, Benjamin Teixeira de Aguiar, that's his name. And he's Brazilian, he speaks at the UN, he had his whole, um, his, uh, I guess, community, you could say, the Quantum Leap Institute, is um, part of ECOSOC, the economic, social, all that Mm. stuff from the United Nations, they have 10 voting seats. Mm -hmm. So they're like, it's a big deal, like he's a pretty huge guy, like, Mm -hmm. and he actually came on campus without asking for any compensation. That's great. He's just like, I just want the event to go well, invest in the event, do this, do that, whatever, get a translator. It's going to be simultaneously translated because he speaks Portuguese. Mm-hmm. But two UN translators are coming to um, translate for him. He The same ones that always translate for him because he like likes them and everything and they know his like innuendo, like all the like type of mm-hmm. things that he does. And it's really awesome because 
too often he he says a lot that like this new generation is just so anti-religion not anti-religion but like just not religious and it's mostly because of like like um what is it called um like what is it called it's like established religion or like um formal like Mm -hmm. churches all that stuff like he his whole message is that you can be spiritual without having to be religious so he it's it's based on a christian faith kind of like christian ideals with like the bible and stuff but it's just spiritual with without religion so if you don't if you're an atheist you want to go you can go if you're catholic muslim whatever that's what i was kind of getting getting to that the mm. msa and Usha was really interested she was like oh that's awesome so i think that that's really cool like if you're from any other religion any kind of culture tradition whatever mm-hmm. you can come and listen and just like you know because his whole thing is anti-prejudice he doesn't want people to be prejudiced against one another women gay he's openly gay um mm. he's a gay man with a husband like he it's just awesome. Like, yeah. it's just a really cool event to go to. And it's not too long. It's like an hour max, an hour and a half. It's a lecture. You don't have to stay the whole time. You know, you get like an earpiece that translates it to English. No kidding. Yeah. It's but the all... food's afterwards, right? So if it you want the food, you got to stay the whole time. Yeah, but. Sounds worth it. Worth it, worth it definitely. Mm-hmm. What's his name again? Benjamin Teixeira Jagiat. It's Benjamin Teixeira, you could mm. say. Yeah, it sounds better with the accent. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> in Portuguese, yeah. Um, and then we have one other event. I forget what day it is. It's later in December. I believe it's a. I believe it's on the 12th. I'm not positive. I'll, I'll get back to everyone. Okay. It's on the same time as Winter Wonderland that PAC does. Hmm. Um, and it's basically an intercultural dinner. So if any clubs or organizations are like want to participate in the dinner bring food bring like have your culture represented Mm -hmm. which is what we're trying to do we're trying to get like all the clubs to come and bring foods from their culture like if you want your culture to be represented on that day bring food Mm -hmm. just email me again at that email and let me know what you're going to bring because I have to tell Sodexo obviously so don't bring anything without telling me Mm. actually you can and then I'll just tell Sodexo on that day or whatever but preferably don't do that like preferably just let me know before because they're going to fill in or what Sodexo well no, they're going to um, – they just have to know, like, yeah. what outside foods and how you're going to maintain it. Because like, oh. if, if something needs maintenance, then tell me before or else mm-hmm. you can't bring it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're bringing, like, cookies or something, like, whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be really cool. Mm-hmm. It's like an intercultural dinner. You can just come and, like, yeah, get sounds food good. and have your culture represented. We have giveaways. And um, we have a giveaway of, like, a gift card, um, a bunch of stress balls, like, a bunch of, like, cool little giveaways and stuff. And um, – so such cool decorations. Everything just came in the mail from Oriental Trading. And what food are you gonna bring? Um, probably brigadeiro, which is um these like chocolate, like balls with like sprinkles. Yeah, that what? sounds good. Yeah. And Pete, what would you bring if you were representing your culture? You guys should all oh, come geez. and bring stuff. Cheese? No. Well, sure, cheese is good. Guys, you know. should you should do it. Come, yeah. you should come. You guys should, can I write you down for bringing food? <laughs> I have to figure out what the food to bring. But I think Pete has two cultures, right? Well, I have plenty, sure, but I could bring krumkaka from my Norwegian side, which is uh, That's interesting. What is a it? little, it's almost like a pitzel. It's like a, a little pastry, flat, crispy pastry. Oh, nice. That's a good name, and though. I could bring uh, kucherar, which is a, a fig cookie that my grandma, my Sicilian grandmother used Ooh. to make. Too. Wow. That sounds so, delicious. All desserts, of course. But Isn't there a Greek side there too? That's my wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, she could. Oh, yeah. There's a million things she could bring. Well, we'll invite her so, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, open sure. to the public, so not just yeah. students, faculty, staff, everything. That's how I can get everyone. I can yeah. go ask faculty. 
Maybe Daryl will bring some stuff. Sure. So what are you going to bring? I'm still working on it. I'm trying to think. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a... Uh, I have a lot of, uh, you know, um, different countries in my heritage, but um, I have to think of which one I'd want to represent. I don't remember what day it is, but whatever, we'll figure it out. We have to talk about the soccer teams, too. They're both in the uh, LEC. Just got hot in here all of a sudden. (laughs) Talking about that food. Yeah. Unfortunately, the football team took it in the teeth. Pete was there. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was rough. We lost. Yeah. yeah. So they're they're still in first. They're eight and one. Um, they lost the tiebreaker though. To this team that crushed them. Yeah. In the so first quarter, right? Three. I think. Yeah. Three they touchdowns. Were Twenty-one in to three six seconds. in the third. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah. Uh, but from what I, I think there's still a chance to make. Some kind of playoff or something, depending on how the how next week shakes out. I think the, people think they'll still be invited to a bowl or something or some yeah, playoff. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it's dependent on, you know, something happening. Yeah. It would have been great to sweep the, you know, yeah. clear the table. But whatever. It's hard in sports. It's hard to win everything and end the year with a win. Hardly anyone does. Yeah. I mean, we we were great for a long time. We're still great. Oh, yeah. That's why sports are character building. Yeah. Um, anything else? Hey, we still have that guy from Facebook coming on November 14th, uh, which is a Wednesday over in the the VPA building, the uh, arts building. What do we call that? The concert hall, right? The Veronica Hagman concert hall. That's right. And uh, he starts, he'll be there at 530. It's free for everybody. And he's going to talk about social media and um, privacy and yeah, the elections really and stuff good. like that. Wow. Oh, it will be good, yeah. People so, are talking about it. One last side note. Mm-hmm. On the WOW, at the end, it says podcasts. And then it says WCSU 411. Oh. And then the description says interviews with WCSU authors. Fulbright scholars and great teachers, plus information about research and other accomplishments of student and faculty. Hmm. <laughs> What's it missing? What's hmm. it missing? <laughs> yeah, we got to fix that. Actually, I think I did rewrite it for the website. <laughs> it's on the website now with extra information. So I'll have uh, the wow person change that for the next four weeks. You better. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just saw it and I was like, hmm, okay. Well, it doesn't mention my name either. It's not uh-huh. sus. Okay. <laughs> it's rather sus. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't need my name there. I just need like, it'd be cool to be like, oh, events on campus or something. Yeah, the yeah. website says every episode includes a student discussion of campus events. There you, there go. you go, man. So, I and just also rewrote doesn't that. have Paul's name. So it what? It, it doesn't have your name either. Yeah, yeah, so. good. Yeah, we don't need names. <laughs> We're not that that petty. Right. It's the content. It's the quality. Do you know of the petty? Content. Did I teach you petty? Is that just a word, petty? Yes. Yeah, it it's is. just a word. Oh, okay. It's been used like like a lot, like so so frequently nowadays that I'm just like, is that a slang or is that a word? <laughs> like, petty. <laughs> you mean in politics in the in the uh, political races, it's been used. Um, I or don't know. Or the group just, you hang out with. Just in general, I feel like this past year, like I've used the word so often, or like people have used the word. 
I've heard it so often. Hmm. Not even like in the elections, because like, well, I guess you could say the elections too. Everyone's petty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's all I got. Wish me luck at my dentist appointment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and also this weekend in your uh, mock trial, right? Is that yep. what they call it? Friday to Sunday in Florida. In Florida, things could be worse, right? It's great going to WestCon. Yep. 75% paid because it's academic travel. <laughs> Excellent. All right. We'll hear all about it next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks. Thank you, as always, to engineer Pete Puccio and producer Scott Volpe, who make WCSU 411 possible. When you find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, please subscribe so you can keep up with all the news about Westcon. After you subscribe, give us a five-star review and leave a comment. You can also reach us on Twitter at WCSU 411. For Barbara Viegas, this is Paul Steinmetz. See you on the next edition of WCSU 411.